Welcome to What's Next, Hornet Global's podcast that puts members on the mic for thought-provoking, profession-shaping conversations and commentary. Hello, I'm Dr. Paul Luciani. In my 30-year career, I'm amazed at just how much change has happened. But the change sometimes isn't obvious in our profession. Did you know that face-to-face, face-to-face interaction with people is really, really important. And as we navigate our way through these unprecedented times, I just wanted to remind everyone that the engine to productivity is human contact. We need to make a concerted effort to be social, to interact, and to get our affirmation from others. Face-to-face still matters. Why? Because face-to-face is the fastest, quickest way for us to elicit trust. What does that mean? It means that to gain trust from someone when we're physically in their presence, when we're interacting as social human beings, there is an element of trust that's established. It takes time and effort to physically meet someone. It takes time and effort to go and arrange a meeting. It takes time and effort to prepare yourself to interact in a social way, in a professional way, in a face-to-face way. And this act of preparation, the time and effort required, is actually demonstrating a type of trust level. Yep, we can get that digitally, but the time and effort required digitally is a little bit less. There's something lost through the airwaves, through the digital media, that You just have to work harder to gain trust. Once trust is established, or at least the foundations of trust are there, mutuality can then take place. What's mutuality? Mutuality is when there's mutual agreement, mutual benefit, or mutual understanding from the parties meeting. In other words, even if you mutually disagree, there is mutuality. You could agree with someone, and that would be mutual agreement. What that means is is that neutrality and being neutral or fence-sitting is a lot harder to do when you're in the presence of someone in a face-to-face environment. Mutuality is very, very important to establish the meaning of why you are there. Why am I here with this person or this team? What am I trying to achieve? Are they trying to achieve the same thing or not as it may be? Very, very important. Sure, you can get this through digital ways, through Zoom, through Teams, through Skype, or even voice calls. But to establish mutuality in a fast environment, in a fast way, in a more precise way, face-to-face is the king. So you've built trust. You have a mutual agreement or disagreement on why you're there. The boundaries are set. And that's when the creative process starts. That's when opportunism starts. Opportunism is when you opportunistically take advantage of your physical presence, coming up with ideas that you never thought that you were going to achieve in that call, in that meeting. Sorry, not in the call that defeats the purpose, but in the meeting. So opportunism is a spontaneous creative process that is an output of the trust and mutuality that's been built in a face-to-face environment. You may be going there to solve problem A, but you might end up 
tackling problem B and C that wasn't even on the agenda and coming away with three um, projects to, to tackle uh, which weren't ever going to be materialised through digital media. And obviously if you have this opportunistic creativity process happening, then you set to resolutions. Okay, now we've built trust, we mutually agree on this, look at what's come out of the process, let's get to solving this, let's get to take advantage of these resolutions. This is a dynamic uh, process that face-to-face is the king of because it's fast, it's 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 almost guaranteed that either way you're going to have um, this process happen. It doesn't have to be in the positive. You can have bad meetings, so to speak, but you're going to have an outcome. Neutrality is pretty well minimal. The reason why I'm laboring on this is as we go through this podcast, it'll become very, very apparent as to what the future of workplace is. And the cornerstone of this future is the face-to-face interaction. Now let's turn our attention to what's happening in the world right now. So as, as you know, this COVID-19 pandemic has affected the entire globe. It's, it's an unprecedented uh, disruption, if you like, into the working lives of, of everyone. And our thoughts go out to those industries that have been totally decimated by lockdowns and, and by the illness caused by this terrible pandemic. And where are we? We are basically having less face-to-face interaction. We're enabling ourselves through digital media and we're coping quite well. Um, The data is coming back showing that we are able to effectively continue uh, in most industries in a digital remote way. And this has um, given us confidence to be able to continue our business via digital media And in fact, in some industries, uh, many are saying that we are actually more efficient than we were previously because we are not traveling, there's less friction, there's less travel time, uh, and we're able to um, interact quicker, faster, and more spontaneous. And all these things are true as well. And this may come to a surprise to some. Uh, I believe that there has been a real surprise factor in this um, epidemic where people have gone, wow, we, we actually, uh, we don't need as much real estate as we do. We don't need all this office. We actually didn't even need to meet face to face because look at the efficiency that we're getting. Our clients are still happy. Our products are still being effectively marketed and, and, and sold. Um, and wow, you know, uh, this is, this is a revelation. Well, it is a revelation, but as I said, we have short memories because pre-industrial revolution. So the time before the world industrialized itself back 1800s and backwards. Most people work from home. Um, it is not uncommon for people to work from home. In fact, for centuries, the world's economies advanced in a work from home environment. There was a high division of labor. In other words, labor units, so a thousand people, um, was highly divided. It was actually village, family, and single unit specialists, for example, the blacksmith of the, the town, the, the farmer, the, um, you know, the, the local chemist uh, working in his backyard. This was the predominant form of economic advancement for centuries. The marketplace economy, it was highly efficient. 
labour was heavily divided. We had small towns, small specialised villages, and ones, twos, three families. It's highly unusual to have uh, a workforce of a thousand people or more before the Industrial Revolution. Yet we managed to survive quite well and advance and prosper under that environment. So it shouldn't be any surprise that we can do that in today's world. But something happened post-Industrial Revolution. When the Industrial Revolution hit with its wonderful advancements such as steam, electricity, modern stock markets, um, and many, many other rapid technological advancements and automation and mechanisation, we had a fundamental almost overnight shift in the division of labour. All of a sudden... We required not ones, twos and threes, but 50, 100, 1,000, tens of thousands of people to collectivise together to produce economic output. This was a labour, this was a a non-divided labour force and it was managed, operated and maintained in a hierarchical sense. And the reason was, is because when the automation uh, was developing, it required people to act as one. It had to be managed. It was the focus of our economic output. Think of a car manufacturing plant. Think of an industrial chemist um, factory producing, you know, the first antibiotics. Think about these heavily automated industries that required thousands of people to collectivize together. And that was actually the beginning of our modern office building of today. Buildings weren't just made so that we could um, sit on top of each other in a, in a hierarchical way. These buildings weren't a good idea of an architect. They weren't fancy town planners' ideas. They actually evolved and developed purely out of the necessity of the Industrial Revolution that required hundreds and thousands of people to be collectivised together in close proximity under strict supervision to produce ginormous amounts of economic output. But if that labour force was broken or divided, then it would affect the output that was trying to be achieved because the automation needed that type of human intervention. And so we have the birth of the modern office environment, the cities that we now live in. And now we look at ourselves and say, well, we're moving back to a marketplace environment of sorts. Do we need this vertically integrated, tightly controlled um, hierarchy which has now evolved into physical spaces of very dense high-rise buildings in cities. You know, an interesting statistic, since the 1940s, the return on investment per labour unit, so one person working and the return on that person, has been diminishing since the 1940s, and it hasn't recovered. What does that mean? That means that at the height of the Industrial Revolution, where the technology of the day was advanced to a point and we collectivise ourselves together in large office buildings and industrial plants all around the world, we reached a critical mass where it didn't matter how much more labour that we added, we were not getting any greater returns on that labour. And that's because we'd reached the capacity of the technologies of the day and no more labour was required to run them. And this was a real problem for the world because in the 40s, 50s and 60s, we were required to 
put more and more people on for less and less return. And this was causing great inefficiencies across the world as we knew it. Basically, we'd reached the pinnacle of the Industrial Revolution and the way humans interacted to get the return on investment. So it wasn't surprising to see that the division of labour had to be reduced. There was just too many people working in the same factories and environments and office environments for uh, little or declining labour return on the investment. And it's not surprising that then we saw a a relatively new uh, revolution in specialisation, or as you may know it, outsourcing. And in, in the decades preceding that, we saw great advancements in return on labor by dividing it again. So in other words, instead of adding more people to your organization, they're actually reducing the number of people and specializing out those items that specialists could do. And this was basically a type of revolution. You'd know it um, when you see technologies wrapped around this. In other words, laptops, the internet, um, uh, technologies that were not just built for the integrated vertical hierarchy, such as the old IBM's uh, mainframe systems that were built for the large office institutions, but all of a sudden we're seeing a lot more transportable technologies uh, with mobile phones and laptops. Once again, we, we thought uh, these technologies were just made um, and then industry wrapped themselves around that well now I would argue that industry required a separation and division of labor and technologies were built to support it so things like flat file excel spreadsheets which basically drove a lot of um, efficiency and transportation of data across from one organization to another started to evolve this was a critical step in the evolution of the workplace because it reduced the amount of labor required per organization yet managed to increase output through specialization. And that was the outsourcing revolution that we saw took place in the 80s and 90s up to the 2000s. And what did we see take place in the workplace world? Well, we saw a revolution of design. You would have heard terms activity-based working, um, hot desking, um, you know, a reduction in physical offices that have been designed. You would have seen uh, Hub and Spoke, where you had central offices and regional offices built. This, once again, wasn't the brainchild of smart architects and designers. This was a reaction to the changing way in which industry created its return on investment. In other words, specialization and flexibility. It was a requirement that offices were a lot more flexible and a lot more accommodating to um, Um, People from outside the organization coming in and people from inside the organization going out. Uh, It was a more sharing environment and the workplace design had to accommodate that. And we saw for decades that that was the advancement and that was where we were heading in workplace design. But something was happening. This second revolution, uh, if you like, was leading towards some massive changes. And in 2016, at the World Economic Forum in Davos, the major theme uh, of world leader uh, combined contribution to knowledge and discussion was around the future of work and the human scale ramifications that the next 
revolution was heading. And namely, that was the automation uh, and displacement of traditional jobs um, and traditional work in environments for people through automation. Things like artificial intelligence, blockchain technologies and general uh, increases in um, highly specialised automation and mechanisation. The result of that forum was not surprising, but echoes uh, now that COVID has hit. And the results were that it was resoundingly agreed from all leaders that the world was heading towards a highly automated working environment where the division of labour will reach its final conclusion, and that is the individual. And that what will propel the world forward with economic advancement won't be the collectivising of labour as we knew it, would not be the highly specialised labour units spread out supporting larger labour units, but it will be the individual. That the division of labour had reached the individual level which meant that it was the individual effectively becoming the new workplace. The individual and his or her ability to critically think and problem solve will take the advancement of economic output to the next level. That was in 2016. And for a period of time after that, we did see the increase in automation we did see that there was much more emphasis placed on the individual and enabling the individual to be the new workplace, giving them all the tools required to think critically and to problem solve. And we saw the advent of the gig worker economy, which was a step towards individualization of the workplace. We saw technologies not displacing people's working environments in great extent, but enhancing them and freeing them to be able to be highly creative and much more inventive. And we saw this progress right up until uh, the pandemic time. So think of COVID-19 as an event. I like to call it the magnifying glass event. Think of it as a magnifying glass that was put over uh, the theory that I just mentioned to you then and basically confirming that if you want economic output, the way to get it is to treat your individual as the new workplace. In fact, we had no choice but to treat the individual as a new workplace because of the isolation effect of the COVID-19 virus. And to many, many surprised organizations, as I mentioned before, there was one of, wow, you know, our people are a workplace. They are efficient. You know, they, they're critically thinking and they're problem solving. This wasn't something new. The virus didn't invent it. We'd been on this journey for decades, as I just mentioned. COVID-19 hasn't really sped it up, hasn't really slowed it down. It's just put a magnifying glass over what was already taking place. So the future of work it's not workplace planning. It's workforce planning. It's not about large labor units. It's about the individual. There's going to be a reassessment 
a reassessment from organisations, not really on their workplace, not really on the design of their office, but really there's going to be an assessment on their investment to the individuals. It will be an assessment on the symbols they have in their workplaces, what's important and what is not important. I believe that things like office location, the square meters that you have in your office per person, and all those workplace symbols that you have, the number of offices, the type of fit out, they will become less and less important. What will be more important is the health and well-being and the environment that you create for your employees wherever they are as they critically think and problem solve throughout this new industrial revolution which the World Economic Forum called the fourth industrial revolution is the individual as the new workplace with the ability to problem solve and critically think. So we will see more managed service, less traditional space. We will see more focus on enabling individuals through digital means and through shared economy and partnerships in their working life. We'll see less and less long-term traditional leases, leases that are built for large labour units. We'll see more and more blurring between those that work for an organisation and those that solve problems for an organisation. We will see less and less emphasis put on skills and uh, ability for people to um, be bound to a single industry. And we will see more and more emphasis placed on people's critical thinking and problem-solving skills, no matter which industry they're applying themselves to. This is the future of work. This is the fourth industrial revolution. And for property and real estate and facilities um, professionals, it is imperative that you understand that this trend was pre-COVID and it will be post-COVID. And it's an exciting opportunity for us as professionals in our industry to tailor-make our solutions, concentrating more on the individual and the individual as a workplace rather than individuals in our workspaces. Just as physical space was in the 20th century, with all its importance on location, quality, accessibility, suitability, so will be data in the 21st century. The economics around the stock of physical space that we did will mainly be replaced with the economics of data distribution, quality, accessibility and suitability. As the individual becomes a new workplace, it is data that becomes the trading commodity rather than the physical space as we know it. With it, people can take the shortest path to efficiency. They can innovate at a rapid space they can cross physical boundaries with reduced friction and they can build dynamic brands both personal and corporate that transcends the bounds of physical spaces and workplaces so they can leverage the combined worlds of the physical with the digital to augment reality with this base the fourth industrial revolution will take shape Namely, as I said, 
human problem solving and critical thinking, which is agnostic, really, to time, space and matter as we know it. I want to thank you for listening. In uh, my second series on this podcast, we'll talk a, a little bit more about what emerging industries will come uh, as we emerge into the fourth industrial revolution. Thank you very much. This concludes this episode of What's Next. Want to record a podcast of your own? Have an idea or point of view you'd like to share? Visit cornetglobal.org to learn more.